Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. Hymns are in many ways the oral history of our faith. Sometimes it's the timeless music of our predecessors that's just what our soul needs. In this new series, we'll delve into the history to take some of those classic, overlooked, and left-behind hymns and explore their meaning. So come along and join in as we start this brand new series, How Sweet This Sound. I am excited about next week and all that's going to happen next week. Um, And, you know, in thinking forwardly about next week, it's really... Some of you who are parents of graduates, you get this. Those who have gone through this, you get this as well. A lot of times we start thinking about graduation and all that it means in the car line. Has everybody, anybody ever had that experience uh, where you're sitting in the car line? Uh, and some of you, now that your kids are grown and, and now they're in their own cars, you don't get to experience that quite so much anymore. Uh, but my little guy is still in the car line, and uh, I was with him this week, and I started thinking about all our graduates. And what really got me thinking is Andrew has this thing where, you know, the very first day he was dropped off at school, there was all this trepidation. In fact, we walked him all the way to class that day. Um, but then slowly we stopped that practice, right? And, and we started letting him out at the door. And maybe it was a little bit of a fight at first, but then he just started getting comfortable with it. And now we're at this point where he gets out of the car and he has no problem, but then he pauses next to the car and he looks back. He just kind of looks and he does this little tiny wave like this. And then he'll turn his hands down like this. And then he walks on and he gets under the carport line and he looks back one more time and he keeps going. And, and this, this happens, you know this experience, right, where, where you're releasing someone and there's this slow process of sort of seeing them grow and go and all those types of things. And, uh, of course, for those of you who are graduating uh, next week, you'll, you'll get this. In fact, I'm just going to take advantage of the fact that I don't get to preach next week and talk to my graduates for just a minute. For those who are graduating, you know this. You don't, you don't do that car ride anymore. You drive, right? And you're in that space where you're driving, and and it was hard at first for mom and dad to let you go. The tears that were there that turned into sort of long waves and smiles and jumping out the car without saying goodbye are now just like leaving in in the morning, and sometimes you forget to say goodbye. And that'll lead, of course, to this next stage of life where you have one final goodbye in the house uh, and then that you get sent off to college to go do something else and to live your life. And and life is full of all these sort of transition moments that we face. And we're able to do that. And I want you to hear me really clearly about this. We're able to take each of those new steps into an unknown future because that's really what this is all about. The pain of dropping our children off or the pain of being a student and being dropped off, it rests in the fact that you don't really know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know. You don't know what that day is going to be like. You don't know how your teacher is going to respond. You don't know what the rest of the world is going to look like and how they'll treat you. And so the pain of each new day is an unknown future. But the power that we live with every single day is the testimonies of yesterday. Right? Drew is able to take steps each and every day in a new and positive way. Uh, graduates, you are able to take the steps that you're about to take. Why? Because you've got a whole host of yesterdays that are behind you. Testimonies of the ways in which God brought you through and brought you up. And everyone who's here, we've had all of these transition moments in our lives where we are taking steps into an unknown future because we've survived yesterday. Parents, that's why you'll be able to release students. Students, that's why you'll be able to take steps forward. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as as boldly and as straightforward as I can be, that's where we are even now. 
We can survive and thrive in seasons of transition like the one that we're about to go in because of all that God has done yesterday, because of all the ways in which God has brought us into this moment. And that's what I ultimately love about the hymn that we're singing today. If you didn't pick up on the hint, it, it, it is well. Right? That's our hymn for today. But, and many of you probably know the backstory of this hymn. This is one of those hymns, you know, the other ones you might not have been familiar with, but this one a lot of people know. It was originally written by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Spafford was actually a guy who lived in Chicago with his family in the late 1800s, and he was a wealthy uh, uh, lawyer in that area. He eventually became a Presbyterian elder in that area. But, but in Chicago, he experienced all the major hardships of life. His one son died of pneumonia when he was five years old. He experienced the pain of that. He lived through that, and he wrestled with it, with him and his wife and his, his older daughters who were around at that time. He was, the, he was a businessman, and he owned a lot of land right on Lake Michigan right there in Chicago. And he was also an individual who lost all of his wealth in the great Chicago fire in 1871. He had invested most of his money in real estate along the coast there. And when the great fire swept through, it, it destroyed everything, leaving him sort of without anything to his name. And it was in that moment, actually, that he stepped back and he said, we need to take a trip. We need to get away as a family. And so they decided to go back to some family who were over in Europe. And so the whole family bought tickets to get on a boat and everybody was going to leave together. And as they were getting on the boat, something came up with business right at the beginning because there was so much shifting in his life right then. And he had to attend to it. He couldn't leave. And he told his family, look, I'll be two days behind you. I'll be there, but I'll be two days behind you. And so he stayed in Chicago to deal with the business. His wife and his daughters got on the boat, and they took off from there. And somewhere in the middle of the sea, an unexpected, uh, an unexpected storm arose, and a ship came by on November 22nd and struck the ship that they were in. And it killed every one of his daughters in that moment. And days later, he received this telegram. I think we have an image of it here. But he received this telegram right here from his wife. And all it said in the telegram, it's a little bit hard to kind of see what, what it is, but the first line is, saved alone, what shall I do? And then his wife goes on to tell him the different ones who died, Miss Goodwin, the children, Willie, uh, Culver, are all lost. I'm going with Loray until an answer. And then she tells him where to reply. Everything was gone. And on this slip of paper, this man receives yet another tragic reality, another news that hits him. And now he has to load the boat, but not to go and be with his family and find that rest. But now he has to load the boat in order to go and mourn with his wife the loss of their entire family. And the story is told that as he was in the middle of the sea, Somewhere around the area where they thought that they, the boat had struck his wife and his daughter's vessel, they stopped the vessel right there in the sea, his vessel. And he wrote the words to this song. As he stood there, deep in thought, looking out into the sea of despair, Spafford is able to look over all of his yesterdays, everything that was behind him, the loss of his son, the loss of all of his business, every struggle that he had gone through in life, and he's able to look out over this sea. And with his past pain in check, he's able to offer a testimony today and say, it is well with my soul. 
It is well. Not because it is well right now, but it is well because God has brought me through so much in the past. So many things that I didn't think I could survive. All of these things. And, and this moment, it was terrible for Spafford. It was one of the worst moments of his life. He had lost all of his remaining children. He had had all this hardship that had settled upon him. And he entered into this season with uncertainty in that moment. But he entered into that season of uncertainty with a sort of resilience and trust. And the resilience and trust in his heart and in his life was built up over days and days and days of overcoming challenges like this in his past. And that's how trust is formed in your life. Trust for the future is formed and it's reformed over and over again on the testimonies of today. If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this today. That our trust for tomorrow, whatever tomorrow looks like, is built upon the testimonies of this day. The things that you have survived, the things that you have lived through, the things that you have fought through, that you've struggled with, that you've cried over, all of those things that you've held deep in your heart and you've held on to have created a future, and they've created for you a future of hope because you've seen the way that God has already worked in your past. And there are numerous places in Scripture where this comes up, numerous places where we feel the tension time and time again between tomorrow and today and stories of our faith. But there is this story that Grant read a few minutes ago that is just so encapsulates this story. This place where the disciples are lost on the sea in the middle of the night, and they really are between, this shore, between two shores. The shore of certainty where they, they have been and they've stood with Jesus and this unknown shore that Jesus has talked about and that he's taking them to. And then there's this sea of chaos and uncertainty right in between it. And ironically about all these stories, now this story, it's told over and over again. As some of you may recall, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? But there are three of them that often tell the same stories over and over again. Not in all cases, but in a lot. And, in, and this story right here is one of those stories. It gets told over and over and over again. Matthew Mark and Luke all tell the story over and over again. But they all tell it in slightly different ways. And, and Mark, the one that I've chosen for us to read, has just a couple of unique details that I think we need to hear because there's some things that he's pulling out that we as human beings struggle with over and over again when it comes to these in-between spaces of uncertainty and chaos. Ironically, Mark is the shortest gospel in total length, but this is the longest story out of the three that are told. Matthew just zooms right through it, Luke zooms right through it, but Mark just wants to sit in this story. He wants us to marinate in it because he knows that there are these in-between spaces of chaos. Now, one thing that all of the stories do, and we need to remember this too, Jesus in every one of these stories, just before they get on the boat, teaches his disciples about faith. If you have but faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this, what? Mountain, move from here to here and it'll do so. He talks to them about faith and trust that they can have in God and he builds their faith and trust. Some cases he calls them out of the life that they were in and into a new life, but he's always talking to them about faith. And it's as if when he gets to this place right here, he's not just talking anymore. He's putting them in a space where their faith is, is tested. It's tried. And they have to step into that boat, into that place of the unknown and experience it. And this is, this is how the story goes. Let me just read just a couple of verses right up top. It says in verse 35, On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. So they know where they're going. They know what that is. They just have never been there. So it's a little bit unknown to them. And then it says, And leaving the crowd behind, remember he's been teaching to all these crowds all this stuff about faith. They leave the crowds behind. They took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And then a few other boats kind of tailed along behind them. Mark, Mark uniquely tells us this. 
So Jesus leaves the majority of the crowd behind, but he takes this small, intimate group of his followers, and he says, let's go try this out on the waters. Let's go cross the waters together, and let's do it right in the middle of the night where you can't see anything but the stars and the heavens above. And while they're on the sea, their day begins to change. Everything about their reality starts to change. They predicted that they would get in the boat on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They would get out on the other side. They wanted to do that. That's their future plan. But they didn't know, the, they didn't know what they would encounter on that future pathway. They couldn't have predicted what would happen next as they're entering into that unknown space. And that's what happens in verse 37. The unpredictable reality of our future smashes into their face when it says a great windstorm arose and the waves started beating into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Now, this is where it gets pretty interesting for Mark, and this is where a lot of the distinctions start to come out. It says, but he, this being Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, all of the gospel recordings want you to know this. Jesus is not apart from the disciples. Jesus is right there with the disciples in this uncertain space. He's just quiet. He's just resting in that space of uncertainty. And this is so, so important for us when we start to think about the, this sort of larger narrative of this, this story, this place where the disciples start to experience all the chaos of this world. And what happens with the Son of God? What happens with the Son of Man? He's still. He's quiet. He's resting in that space. He's got all the confidence in the world, so much confidence that he can just sit back and sleep in that space. He's not abandoned us. He's not left us, and it may feel that way because he's quiet and we don't see him panicking in the same way we are. But in our seasons of panic, there's this calm and peace that is the presence of God. And this is exactly where Jesus is. He's resting in the front of the boat. And then it goes on, and this is, this is what's amazing. This is very, very different from any other gospel. It says, and, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Right, Jesus is in the boat. He's with them. He's just quiet. He's sleeping in that space. And they, he's the one who's asked them to step into that future. He's never abandoned them into that future. He's never disappeared in that future. He's just resting in that future with them. And when this happens, Mark's disciples ask Jesus a question that so many of us in this room ask of God in seasons of uncertainty and chaos. Do you even care? Right now, Matthew doesn't do this. Luke doesn't do this. In fact, Luke just says, "Master, Master, we're perishing." Right? He just, we just want to let you know we're dying. That's it. Nothing else. We don't need to go any further. Luke says we're dying. Good to know. Matthew takes it a little bit further. He tells you know the disciples say we're dying, but they also ask, "Lord, save us." Lord, save us. We're perishing. But Mark changes this up. It's not just, Lord, we're perishing. Save us. They're not asking Jesus for anything. In fact, as Mark comes to them. They question everything about what's happening in this moment. Lord, do you not care about us? Do you not care that this is happening? And, and let me just pause right here because I do know that this is a reality that we face in seasons of transition and seasons of chaos and seasons of uncertainty. One of our first responses in seasons of uncertainty for tomorrow is to start questioning God's character. Right, another way to say it is when certainty in the future is lost, clarity about God's character is questioned. That's what happens. We start to automatically question God's clarity, it doesn't, or character. It doesn't seem like it, that that's all black and white. It doesn't seem like God actually does care about us, that there's something off, right? I can't believe this is happening to me, is maybe something we would say. Why me? Why would it happen now in this space? I thought I could trust you this time. I thought I could rely on you. I thought I could depend on you, and now this is what I'm facing? Why? 
Why do I have to go through this? Why did you bring me into this space? And all the while, sort of the, the punch behind it is that we're questioning God's character in that space. And the truth is, is every single day of our life, we live under the cloak of false certainty. And if that cloak gets cracked just a little bit, it is so very easy to start questioning whether or not God does, in fact, care for us. And that's what happened to the disciples who were on the sea in this moment. They lost all certainty about their future. That certainty that they had was cracked in that moment. And then in that time, they started questioning God's character. Even when the Son of God is sleeping in their midst, he's right there with them in the middle of that storm. They still offer this this questioning of his character. He was with them all along. He hadn't abandoned them. He hadn't forgotten them. He was always there. He was there because he is who he says. He couldn't have abandoned them. The psalmist, this reminds me back of, of, of Psalm 34. The psalmist tells us there that God is the one or the Lord is one who is near to the brokenhearted. He doesn't abandon the brokenhearted. He sits right with those who are brokenhearted. He stays right with them. So there's no way that Christ would have ever left them or abandoned them in the middle of this storm because it goes against his character. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And God is always by our side, even in the midst of these places. Because in the middle of your pain, God is still present. In the middle of the hardest moments of life, God is still there. And I understand God doesn't always act right away. There's not always a response. There's certainly not always a response in the way that we want him. He doesn't respond in the way when we want him to or how we want him to. But our trust, our trust is not grounded in how God acts right now. It's not always grounded in what we think God should do in the future, but it's deeply rooted as people of faith who not only hold faith for this century, but in the centuries that have gone before us. It's grounded in what God has done and continued to do through our ancestors and even what God has done in our yesterdays. The ways that God has shown up in yesterday, that's what builds our faith and trust. And so it's through the stories of our yesterdays. It's through the stories of your yesterdays. It's through the stories of your ancestors, of your grandmothers and your grandfathers. And it's through the stories of other people in our faith that we find strength for tomorrow. And that's why when Jesus finally did wake up, he looked over at his followers and he sort of acts in this strength. He wakes up. And immediately he doesn't respond to them. He just turns to the wind and the waves and he rebukes them. And this is the only time we see exactly what he says. But in that space, he invites the chaos to do exactly what he was already doing. Be silent. Be still. Now there's some power in that in the sense that God is silent and still right in the middle of the chaos. But when he awakes to help us respond with it, he invites that chaos to do exactly what he was just doing. Be silent. Be still. Perhaps he was showing us a model of how we can act in the midst of chaos, to be silent, be still, to find our faith grounded in him. And part of what he was doing even there, and part of what we do as a body of Christ, is he was remembering all the times in which God had already spoke to the chaos of this world. He remembered back, even learning as a young little boy in in the synagogue, right? He remembered when God spoke into the dark waters of chaos and spoke light into the world. He remembered when God was with the people of Israel and he was with Noah and his family. And through the waters of that disastrous flood, God came through and settled the flood out. He moved it away. He remembered when the prophet Moses was saved out of the waters of the Nile. He remembered when the prophet Moses would grow up and the Egyptian army would be at the back of the children of Israel and God would save his people through the water. 
He remembered all these times where God had already spoken to the water when Elijah was living in a a, uh, drought and there was no water around, but then water came and solved all things and saved all things. He remembers all of these times as he's standing facing the chaos of this storm. And he not only remembered them because he was taught them as a child, but as the Son of God, he remembers standing there, breathing into the chaos of that primordial existence. He remembers helping move back the waters of the Red Sea. He remembers doing all of these things as he was a part of them. And he stands up with the disciples in that moment. The God who stood with all of those others in their yesterdays is right there to stand in the disciples today. And the same God who has stood with you in all of your yesterdays and all of the things you didn't think you could survive, but you did. All the times that you came through, but you, but you, you never thought you, you would be able to. Is the one who stands there with you and says, just think back about what I've already done. When it's hard to believe that God is working in the future, that's what I want you to do. I want you to remember your yesterdays. I want you to hold on to your yesterdays. And that's how I want to close today. If you'll allow me to for just a few minutes, I just want to kind of give kind of a pastoral pep talk. Right? Pep talk's always the thing that you know you like try to encourage someone with to build your confidence so you can make it through, you can do all those types of things. And that's what I want to do for a few minutes as I close today. It's just to encourage us pastorally in our futures. Whatever those futures look like. And over the fa- past five years, I have seen the faithfulness of God. I've seen it in my own life for sure. I've seen God stand faithful with me when my daughter was born at 33 weeks and bring her out in a miraculous way in a, in a very quick time. Through your prayers and your support and your love and us as a community coming together, I've seen God active in that way. But, but I've also had the incredible privilege of seeing God at work in your life. I've had the incredible privilege of standing with you in some of the hardest, darkest moments of your life and standing in those yesterdays knowing that God has seen you through And you sit here in this space today because of a God who has done that. And time and time again, here's the truth. My trust for tomorrow has already been built by the way in which God has moved in our yesterdays. And all that God has done. And and as I look over the room, and as I thought about this this week, this is what I've seen. I've seen God at work in some of your lives when you were coming out of places of spiritual abuse. I've seen the way that you never thought you could find hope in a church again because there was so much abuse that had been leveled upon you. And yet you sit here today and you can say it is well. It is well in my soul because God brought you through that. And I can see others of you who were violently at times dismissed by religious leaders. And that's a pain that you carry with you. And it's one that will be with you probably the rest of your life. But you'll hold that because it's a yesterday that God pulled you through. And today you can say, it is well with my soul. It is well. There's some of you in this room who thought that all of your hope was lost. Even as recently as just a few weeks ago, I know as the hills held their baby girl Scarlet just prior to we had the opportunity to baptize her. They thought all hope for tomorrow was lost. They'd experienced the weight of that. And now today they can look back on that moment and they can say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. God has brought us through all of that. And I know all across this room, there are some of you who have lost the anchors to your home. You've lost the matriarchs, the patriarchs. I've stood beside you 
in the places where you have lost them. And I've stood over their graves and we have worshiped together in those spaces and our hearts were filled with sadness as they moved. And at that time, maybe we didn't know how we would take the next steps, but together we did. It was not through someone coming along and saying, you just need to be strong in this moment. It was by us coming along and saying, we need to be together in this moment. And together, we could stand up and we would say, it is well. And God knows that over the last few years, some of you business owners, some of you doctors, some of you nurses, you had no idea how you were going to make it through. No idea how you would be where you are today. But two years later, as we stand here in the middle of 2022, you can say it as well. And you've said it as well. And it's all your yesterdays that have led you into this moment where you can say that. Either your family was falling apart, you might have received a medical report that was bad. There's so many different stories that rest in this room, and I don't hold those stories in my heart alone, but but we hold those stories together. And together we say, it is well. It is well. And here's what I know, and I think... I think the reason that this is hard for me and for us, I would assume today, is because there are fewer of those tomorrows that we will live together. And I get that. But the same God of our yesterday is the one who walks us into our tomorrows. It's the same one who will be there faithful to us, who will help hold us. And the verse that's been resting heavily in my heart over the last week and a few weeks, in fact, is one that comes from the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's a letter that we've worked through and learned together. But in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I am confident of this. Paul, a person who was in the middle of prison who didn't even know if he would get out. Paul in this space and his life is threatened. Paul says, I'm confident of this. The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to leave us today. I'm not confident in the future because of anything that I've done. I'm not confident in the future because of anything that you've done, but I'm confident in the future because of the good work that God has created and started to create in all of us. And the constant invitation that God gives for us to work every single day. And the good work that God began in our yesterday, that good work is carried in our bodies. And you won't escape it. Don't try to hold on to it and carry it into your tomorrows. Because the good work that God has started in all of us is the part that will become our testimonies for tomorrow and it will help someone else and their tomorrows. And God will bring to completion all of these things as we look forward to the final day in which we are all together. So let me finally say, thank you. Thank you not just for the future, but thank you for all the yesterdays where God has shown up, where I've been able to stand with you as your brother not just your pastor. I know, I know I get that ability and you have to, you're forced to listen to me for 30 minutes every Sunday, sometimes longer if my wife is wanting me to be honest. <laughs> but you get to listen to this, but, but I'm just your brother walking this faith journey with you. 
side by side, anticipating that God is inviting us all into this space. And so thank you for letting me do that. And as I step off this platform one final time, as your, quote, preacher for the day, it is well with me. And it is well with us. Thank you.